into cybersecurity? There's a ton of content out there, and if you don't know where to start, it can be overwhelming, even paralyzing. So let's fix that. Welcome to Simply Cyber, a community of tens of thousands of aspiring and active cybersecurity professionals focused on networking, knowledge sharing, and professional development. I'm Dr. Gerald Dozier, Chief Content Creator at Simply Cyber, inviting you to get the answers to your cybersecurity problems with hundreds of cybersecurity videos answering your frequently asked questions, interviewing industry experts, and live streaming daily cyber threat briefings hosted by me. Now get the stories and insights you won't find anywhere else. Hit subscribe now and dig into all the fresh content on the channel and in the community. Nothing should stop you from launching and leveling up your cybersecurity career today. freaking muted because i was doing simply cybercon stuff hold on we're gonna re we're gonna rewind this sucker hold on this is too good this is too good not to do hold on All right, everybody, welcome to a very special Halloween edition of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing Podcast. That is the Twilight Zone. Today is October 31st, 2023, episode number 484 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I am your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. Shout out to BSEC for the suggestion for the spooky music. Uh, looks like Carl. Carl was getting all up into my uh, audio mixer this morning. Playing hijinks on me, trick or treat, more like trick, am I right? Welcome everybody to the Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I am your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, and over the 45, next 45 minutes, I will be uh, breaking down the top cybersecurity news stories of the day with Jada Hermit, Tina Tini, John Wayne, Johnny Five, Alana, Raymond Napoli, Kenyon Izo, Kenneth, Abimola, Lee Mueller, Chris K. Hall, Ben. 
Carrie recently minted Security Plus. Carrie, very nice. Good. Good morning, everybody. We're going to be shredding the top cybersecurity news stories of the day, and I'll be giving my expert opinion and analysis on each of those stories, on what it means to you as a practitioner, or if you're looking to break into the industry, you're going to want to pay attention, especially, uh, no surprise, a story about the SEC and SolarWinds came across my wire last night, and I knew it was going to be in today's news already. So, yeesh. Hey, what's up? Michael passed the CC exam yesterday. Thank you for fostering an inclusive and encouraging community. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Boom, baby. Boom. Congratulations on that accomplishment. Well done. Well done. Well deserved. Putting in the hard work, man. You gotta, you gotta love it. All right, guys. I'm super pumped. Uh, before we dig into the show though, I'd love to share the stream sponsors with you. Um, and just as a quick note, the reason my mic was muted is because I was working on a uh, with James McQuiggan yesterday uh, for Simply CyberCon uh, emceeing duties and what the protocols are going to be. So uh, in order to avoid an echo chamber, I muted it. Did not fix it. Rawr! All right, guys. Holla, holla, holla. I want to say what's up and shout out and love to Barricade Cyber Solutions. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recovering from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Believe that. Check them out at barricadecyber.com. Links in the description below. Also want to say shout out and love. Coffee cup cheers to Panopsi Security. Panopsi.com. Get a partner who understands your cybersecurity program and your business goals. Think of this as like GRC or fractional VC, so or however you want to do it. Basically, if you need help putting together an information security program or getting visibility into where your actual weaknesses are, where your gaps are, where your exposures are, Panopsi Security can come in and for the fraction of a cost of hiring a full time CISO, and frankly, if you're a smaller business, you don't need a full-time CISO. You just need some direction and then, you know, you know, quarterly check-ins, maybe biannual check-ins. But upside security, they can come in, do a quantified risk assessment, tell you exactly what's wrong, what's going on and how to handle that. And that is what they do. And I am on their board of advisors. I love Brandon Poole. I think he's an excellent practitioner and uh, strongly recommend him. Also anti-siphon training, but more about them at the mid-roll. Stay tuned for Tidbits Tuesday because I got a whopper of one to give you guys, uh, you know, at Tidbits Tuesday, you're not going to want to miss it. I'm very excited about it personally. I shared it with the mods yesterday, but um, I'm going to drop it on all of you. Super excited on this Halloween. Um, remember, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE. So that stacks up two and a half a week, 10 a month. Be sure to say what's up in chat. Grab a screenshot. Like Tim McDonald, hashtag team live if you're not sure what to say. Or hell, if you just want to say what's up and represent hashtag team live, let us see it in chat. File it away in a folder. And when it's time to do your CPEs, just dump them. Back the truck up, lift the bed, and just pour your CPEs onto the auditor or to the certification buddy, whoever, and be like, I'll see you later. I'm going to get a taco. Now, if you're on replay, hashtag team replay in the comments. Team replay comments are timestamps, so you want to definitely do that to get the credit for that. Kelly Lane is in the house, a journalist with interest in cyber and love the Cyber Threat News live streams. Well, Kelly Lane, I'm, I like the Cyber Threat Newswire live streams as well. 
let me just tell you, Kelly, the, the Daily Cyber Threat Brief, it's not too shabby. It's not too shabby. All right. I know we had audio issues at the beginning, but uh, that's kind of par for the course. All right, y'all. If today is your first episode of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, give me a hashtag first timer in chat. If you're haircut fish, hashtag team long timer. I know we got some serious long timers in here. People before the show was called Daily Cyber Threat Brief, before the people, before we started keeping track of the numbers. No, no, Emilio Garcia. No, no, uh, no costume for me today. Although last year I did say that I might dress up like Carl. I realized I'm doing the keynote for Charleston B-Sides next week. And if I had shaved the top center of my head, uh, that would have been bad. <laughs> that would have been bad for the, uh, the keynote. Final reminder, y'all, I do not prepare or research any of the stories that we're about to consume. I don't even know what most of them are. So you're getting my honest, raw reaction and feedback. I've been working in the industry 20 years. I, I know a thing or two. Uh, and obviously, chat is amazing. All the people over here dropping their knowledge. So if you got thoughts on any of the stories, drop them in the chat. Um, we love to engage with each other. Hey, Franklin Arns. Arns. Franklin Arns, we've got a sound effect for you, buddy. Welcome to the party, pal. We got another anonymous on LinkedIn. Uh, doesn't come up, but we got an emote for you. Dung, 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 dung. There's John McLean. Welcome to the party, pal. Welcome to the party, pal. Thank you all for being here, first timers. All right, guys, do me a favor. Get your coffee cup. Get your bourbon if you're in Australia or your wine. I know you. You. it's wine country out there. Whatever you're drinking, whatever you're doing, make sure that you're relaxed. Get into a comfy chair, sit back, and let's let, hold on, let me get a slug of this, buddy. And let's let the cool sounds of the hot news wash over all of us in an awesome wave. I will see you all on the mid-roll. Scott Taylor. Welcome to the party, pal. Welcome to the party, Scott Taylor. All right, guys, see you at the mid-roll. Let's roll. From the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. These are the cybersecurity headlines for Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. I'm Rich Straffolino. Executive order outlines generative AI rules in the U.S. President Biden signed the order, which outlines eight goals for the emerging tech. NIST will develop standards to red team AI models before a public release. Homeland Security and the Department of Energy will investigate threats to infrastructure posed by these new models, and developers must share safety test data. Agencies must also produce reports on potential job displacement from AI models, establish best practices, and build out cybersecurity programs for AI. The order also creates a national AI research resource to provide technical assistance to researchers, students, and small businesses. A White House official said the order will not see any already released models recalled. All right, couple things here. One, Kenneth did request a, uh, a manual sound effect, so what? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Thank you so much for the super chat. And, uh, and again, uh, Kenneth, for uh, giving Carrie some praise for a well-deserved uh, effort of getting that sec plus. Okay, guys. So <clears throat> I have a couple thoughts on this one. First of all, uh, executive office releasing AI uh, strategic direction or guidance, whatever you want to call it. It's guidelines. Um, just as a quick little, uh, you know... <laughs> Security Plus or your GRC 101 or whatever, when you see the word guidelines, that means suggested, okay? This is synonymous with suggestion. When you see policy, that means you got to follow it. Guidelines, 
ah, it's a best practice. You know, let, let's roll with it. Okay. Like, like Alana said, non-binding. Okay. So that's, that's a keyword. <clears throat> like, <clears throat> excuse me. When you see this, when you see this word right here, that indicates right away that it's um, guidance. Uh, it's, it's a suggestion. Okay. <clears throat> that isn't bad though. NIST cybersecurity framework is a voluntary based framework and people are using that all over the place with significant success. So here's what I love. Leon Elliott with the gifted sub for some lucky fan. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Thanks for the gifted sub, Leon. Appreciate you. So check it out. Um, here's what I'm thinking about this one. One, I have been railing against the federal government since like June when they said, like when Congress or the Senate got together and like, oh, we need to put a panel together on AI. Let's meet in October or November. Bro, AI is moving at a ridiculously fast pace. To wait three months is unacceptable. Like AI blew up on the scene in March of this year. That was six months ago. And there's ChatGPT alone has over 100 million users. Many of us have integrated AI into our workflows. Boards are asking, what are we doing about AI? How we, you know, obviously the business is like, can we bake AI into everything, right? Next gen. It's like, it's like the 2020 version of next gen or 2023 version of next gen. So I love that the executive office has released this guidance. Now, one of the really interesting things is they have been working with the, um, uh, big tech, right? If you if you recall, like Biden had in Microsoft executives, Google executives, all all the you know big tech Fortune fifty uh, companies to talk about AI and what are we doing. So for me, I'm loving it that uh, look at all these squad members. I'm loving it that the executive office is a taking initiative. B and this is my favorite part, actually engaging um, the tech sector and the community of interest, the people who actually know what the is going on in AI in order to develop this executive order. I hate it when a bunch of starchy, you know, mothball smelling suits up in up in DC are like, oh, like my nephew does AI. Like I've got it. I know I know how to write policy. I like it when they go and get information, pull it from the community of interest, and then shape it in order to have good policy and good strategic guidelines for the United States. Okay. Mono Julian with the super chat hashtag team passive for a couple of days. The workload's heavy. Just realized I'm doing cyber tasks for IAM to patching up servers and updating SOPs doing the research. First of all, Mono Julian, did we just become best friends? Yep. Boom. Thanks for the super chat. Second of all, love it. Love it. Love it. Mono, make sure you're documenting all of these things on your resume. So you can, you're already doing infosec work. So you know, that whole un uncanny Valley of like, I have zero years of experience. How do I get to three to five years of experience? Right? Like this is how you do it. Mono. Okay. So check it out. The final thing I want to say is this guideline uh, outlines eight goals. I'm going to say them because I think it is valuable standards for AI and safety. Okay. Protect privacy. Good luck with that. Advanced equity and civil rights. I love this one. You guys got to remember the models they're building. The AI is just built off models. It's not like magic, right? If you ask AI to draw you a picture of a doctor a hundred times, it's going to be pretty skewed one way or another. And this is based on evidence that's already been you know, developed and documented. I'm not just like throwing that out of my butt. So my point is there's a lot of inequity in the models and the base data being pushed into it, right? Okay. St uh, stand up for consumers. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of vague. And by the way, I think that falls under the FTC. 
uh, patient students, support workers, promote innovation and competition, advance U.S. leadership in AI tech. All right. That seems kind of counter. Advance U.S. leadership in AI tech. So keep, keep, keep U.S. number one, which I'm totally cool with. But at the same time, this kind of runs counter to protecting privacy, AI safety and security, right? Like advance AI uh, leadership. Ensure responsible and effective government use of the technology. Again, like I would love this one. I would love this one. Ensure the responsible and effective government use. Again, that one's going to be a little bit of a little bit of friction between protecting privacy and um, standing up for consumers, patients, and students. Right? If, if AI gets weaponized for um, surveillance, law enforcement, um, <laughs> government control, again, I'm not. I'm not a tinfoil hat wearing uh, like QAnon person or anything like that. I'm just saying any technology in the wrong hands can be weaponized. Okay. So you, we, it's a, it's a slippery slope, right? AI is here. We are living in the AI age. I've, I've said that since March, we used to live in the information age that got sunset. The second chat GPT blew up. So we're in the AI age. All you can do to me, the final thing I'll say about this. Okay. To me, like AI, it's like riding lightning, right? You have a choice. You can either get fried and be like, well, I guess that's that. Or you can attempt to put a saddle on it and harness it and hold on for dear life. But at least you're trying, right? And I feel like that's what we're trying to do with AI and regulations and executive order. It's moving too quickly. It's too wild. Uh, a lot of people don't understand what's going on under the hood. So in an, in an attempt to like break that Mustang and put it in the barn and be like, yeah, look at my AI horse. No, it's a wild Mustang. And the best you can do is ride it bareback and hope you can get from here to there without getting bucked off. You feel me? Let's roll. Oops. Hold on. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. Russia launching its own virus total. The Russian government plans to spin up Multiscanner, a domestic alternative to the malware scanning service virus total. The government set up a website for Multiscanner already, but like a GeoCities blog, it's currently under construction Ooh, burn. full functionality by 2025. The government lists Kaspersky, AVSoft, and Netoscope as partners with the new platform. Government officials said use of VirusTotal could cross over into unlawful territory in Russia, as U.S. authorities can potentially access user data. Um, all right. I guess from like the office of nobody asked for this, Russia is going to launch its own virus total. All right. I guess they're thinking that people are spying. Okay. So if you don't know, if you don't know, now you know, right? What's up, Biggie? Um, so virus total is a wicked valuable resource. So if you're new to the industry and you don't, you haven't heard of virus total, it's worth bookmarking. You can basically dump, um, binaries or, or scripts. You could dump anything in here. I mean, a script you should be able to read uh, like in Notepad or something, but you can drop binaries in VirusTotal. You could put URLs in VirusTotal. You could put hashes in VirusTotal and it'll tell you if it's malicious or right. Yeah, no, the GeoCities was sick, was sick. Um, so uh, anyways, and by the way, if you don't know what GeoCities is, congratulations, you don't have gray in your hair. Like that's fine. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to the party, pal. Welcome to the party. Okay, so uh, Russia is. Here's the thing: anything you stick in Virus Total uh, becomes like public domain unless you pay for a subscription. But either way, a lot of mal malware gets um, basically gets doxed in Virus Total. Uh, so 
you know, say you got some new fancy piece of malware that you wrote and I drop it on Rick Armstrong. Rick Armstrong is infected with my payload. Rick pushes it up to VirusTotal because he's like, what the F is this? Well, now VirusTotal knows about it. And essentially my malware is burned. I have to recompile it to get a new hash. Um, it's out there. So Russia is setting up its own. They can totally do this. I'm trying to think like practically what is the value of this? Like a lot of malware is written out of Eastern Russia. Okay. So let's just, let's just put that there, right? Like China does a lot of it. Um, but Eastern Europe, not Eastern Europe, excuse me, Eastern Russia, um, not Eastern Russia. What the hell am I talking about? Eastern Europe, where Russia kind of is, Belarus, Romania, Ukraine, th these these countries, um, there's a hotbed of activity because basically if you're in Russia but you're and you're a cyber criminal, if you're not attacking Russian citizens or Russian businesses, you're good to go. You're like, no one's going to knock on your door. You are clear for takeoff, okay? <laughs> as long as you're attacking other people. Um, so obviously a lot of, uh, cyber crime comes out of that space, including writing malware now. Um, and like for example, uh, not Petya. So I'm not, I guess what would be a hot take on this? Uh, why would you not want to become part of the public domain for all of us? It's straight up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess the thing is in my mind, I'm like, oh, then threat actors could See, a threat actor isn't going to want to put their own stuff up to see if it's been popped because it's still going to get into virus total. Uh, Russia's saying U.S. snooping fears, but I don't see what the the government, the U.S. government, um, would want to do. Like the mal, it's malware, right? Who's uploading the malware? I guess is really the thing. I, I I'm sorry, like you know, I don't really have a hot take on this one. Um, I'm just looking at uh. The service, this is the multi-scanner service. Yeah. Uh, the service would ultimately remotely check files and links using static analysis. Okay. Yay. Static analysis. Uh, also conduct behavioral analysis. That's actually where the power is in understanding malware. Um, so, I mean, like static and behavior analysis, this is how sandboxes work. I don't care if it's virus total, any run, integer analyze or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, the, the red army version of virus total here. Um, it's all doing the same thing. Um, Russian companies are being sanctioned by the European union and us treasury. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Hey, all right. So here, I, I don't fully understand the value of this Russian website, but I will share one thing with you. And this is something for practitioners um, of any level of experience, but really I'm speaking to people who are breaking in, or if you're in your first, say five years of information security journey. Okay. This part of the story right here, the company, this malware company, um, suffered an embarrassing gaffe when they uploaded a list of thousands of user accounts to the platform. Here is the deal. I don't care if it's virus total, any run, whatever. When you upload to one of these platforms and you're not paying for the service, what you upload becomes public information. Anyone can look at it after it's been uploaded. So here is the deal. Say the CEO calls you or the CFO calls you and she's like, hey, I don't know what this file is. Someone sent it to me. It's really weird. If you are a, a junior engineer, you might be like, oh, I don't know what this is either. I'm just going to throw it in virus total and see what happens. 
And then it ends up being like the Q4 financial projections or like the details of a very complicated multinational um, merger, multi-billion dollar merger, right? Like, like I'm being a little hyperbolic to make this point uh, strike, but my point is don't just grab stuff blindly and throw it up in a virus total uh, or any run or whatever. And, and just to see as a first pass, like you should first, you know, be like, okay, is this something that's sensitive? Should I be mindful of this? Should I do a little internal research on this? Because once it's out there, you cannot claw it back. It's on the internet. Second thing I will say, uh, and really worth noting, okay, virus total is not incident response. Do not throw something up here and then totally make your decision on whether it's malicious or not based on this, okay? This is just one input into your triage and incident response workflows. This is not replacing you, okay? A lot of people are like, oh, VirusTotal says it's clean, good to go. Guess what? A brand new piece of malware, VirusTotal is gonna say it's clean. Something no one's ever seen, VirusTotal is gonna say it's clean. You feel me? So don't make that mistake. Roaming data could leak geolocations. Researchers at Citizen Lab published a report detailing how roaming signal protocols used by telcos can reveal location data. This can see a surveillance actor issuing signaling messages to create a trigger response from a target's home network, ultimately directed at a user's International Mobile Subscriber Identity, or IMSI, to reveal their location. Surveillance actors can do this through accessing the IPX network through covert commercial arrangements or just through an intermediary. The report also shows passive location tracking through signaling probes and monitoring tools. Citizen Labs recommends law enforcement work to prevent trafficking in IMSIs to begin with, carrier encryption for IMS details, and auditing access to private IPX networks. Uh, really quick, Arrow Wyatt, um, I think it was Arrow Wyatt, had, had a thought, and I love this thought. I love this thought so much that I'm, I'm, I'm winding it back for a second. Uh, Arrow Wyatt wrote, perhaps Russian government's hoping they'll be able to farm malware by having it submitted to their platform. Absolutely great point, right? So say that people are, uh, you know, the NSA writes some malware or Israel or European Union or whatever, and they submit it up to the Russian virus total. Well, then the Russian virus total can take it down, um, disassemble it, decompile it, analyze it, maybe get some new tools into their uh, cyber toolbox, their zero days, right? So that's actually a very good, uh, a very good point. All right, so next story here, the network effect of telecom bones for location disclosure. Um, honestly, I was I was thinking about the Russian um, I was thinking about the Russian uh, story a little bit. Um, if you are interested, ooh, nice infographic. Hold on one second. Um, all right, here's the deal. It, oh wow. Look at all these infographics. I mean, hey. <laughs> like I'm going to print this out and it's going to unfold three panels. If you're picking up what I'm putting down uh, again for the olds in the room, <laughs> um, this looks like a really, really uh, thorough breakdown of how information can be used from cell phones and cell phone tower networks in order to um, pinpoint your location. We got a little wire shark action in here. Ooh, yeah. Wire shark, baby. Come on. Um, Look at all this data. Okay, so here's what I would say. Um, again, two things. One, it's been well documented um, that your phone is basically uh, a tracking device, right? Um, 
guys, your phone. Hey, oh, there's Mrs. Ozier. Hey, hey, girl. Hey, um, listen. It, this thing is basically like a Apple tag on steroids, right? All of us, like literally, your phone is like one of the most important things you can have. I'd lose my wallet before I lose my phone, right? So the phone is always with you, which means wherever it is, you are physically also. This thing is pinging off towers all over the place. Law enforcement has used it forever to triangulate your direction. Um, all the logs are captured so you can follow someone. This is all super well documented. Um, apps are leaking your data all the time. Go back to a um, Patrick Wardle, Colby Moore. Ooh, I'm, 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 I'm going into the archives here of my brain. Patrick Wardle, um, Colby Moore, uh, Schmoocon talk from, uh, I want to say 2011, bro, 2015. Check this out. I'm going to drop this link in chat. This is eight years ago. So 2015. Oh, they gave the talk at a different conference. I saw it at Schmoocon in DC. I thought it was sooner than that, but 15. Anyways, this, um, Actually, hold on. Give me a second. Um, yeah, dude, this 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 video, this talk right here, excellent, excellent. And it this is eight years ago, and it outlines exactly how um, an app can track you and basically pinpoint you, leaking data, leaking data, getting location information on you that is well beyond what you need. Um, I loved, I loved this talk. And by the way, Patrick Wardle is probably my number one favorite speaker of all time. He's top three. He might be number one, hands down. So Citizen Lab, they do a wonderful job in general of documenting. Um, I would argue that this is definitely worth your time if you're into A, privacy, B, OSINT and surveillance, and uh, C, um, or, or see like wireless security. Okay. If you're interested, um, you can also Google FBI stingrays, which is basically like a, a fake mobile cell phone tower that the law enforcement uses to force your phone to connect. And then they can basically eavesdrop on everything. This is very cool. Um, I, I love this. Okay. Good. This is basically just like, this is a Wikipedia article on how to track people using their cell phone on steroids, not the people, the article. Meta makes ad changes in Europe. The social media giant announced major changes for its ads for European users. Over the coming weeks, users over 18 years old can opt into an ad-free version of Instagram and Facebook for 10 euros a month. Additional linked accounts can purchase an ad-free experience for 6 euros a month. A free ad-supported option will remain available. The company will also pause showing ads to users under 18 years old in the EU as of the week of November 6th. Meta says this pause will allow it to review EU privacy regulations on minors, which now prohibit showing them behaviorally based ads. Straight cash, homie. All right, dude, straight cash, homie. Meta pauses ads for under 18. Okay, you know what I just read when I saw this title? Meta finds alternative revenue stream <laughs> in Europe. Okay, so obviously if they're pausing ad for kids under 18, they're, they're being really good complying with European Union rules and, and uh, child protection policies and stuff, but rolls out subscriptions. Straight cash, homie. Straight cash, homie. Thank you, Randy. Like, they're charging people now. They're getting their money, guys. There's no way Meta is like, ah, 
let's just let's just push let's just stop making money that isn't gonna work no 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 so for 10 bucks a month you can get an ad free version i reckon of uh instagram or the face face chat uh face uh snap face so anyways um whatever this is this is the new like angle for social media right twitter's starting to charge a little bit ig facebook is starting to change charge a little bit the european union is tightening down meta is i would imagine sick of paying multi hundred million dollar plus fines uh, i know it's just the operating cost but it's annoying i'm sure so they're rolling out uh, subscriptions like okay like not much to do here. This is just a business model change. Yay. Okay. Way to go, Meta. And now a word from our sponsor, Hunters. Piecing together an SIEM not only takes forever, but it wastes your security team's valuable resources. Hunters is an SIEM alternative purpose-built to help your security operations mature to the next level in a fraction of the time. Spontanana, a next-generation travel-as-a-service platform, uses Hunter's built-in correlation and enrichment capabilities to make better security decisions and experience value from day one. Are you ready to evaluate Hunter's as a SIEM alternative? Visit hunters.security to learn more. All right. Hey, what's up, first-timers? This is the mid-roll, so we do this every day, so settle in for this one, too. All right, guys, I want to thank all of you for being here halfway through the show. We're doing great. If you are getting value from the show, whether it's educational value or entertainment value, uh, be a lamb and hit the like button. It goes a long way not to pump my own um, like feel goods about myself. It goes a long way to help other people like um, Mark Santiago, first timer. Scott Taylor, first timer, right? If it's your first time here, it might be because yesterday I asked people to hit the like button. That's how the like button works. It tells YouTube that you like cyber content, you like this show. Other people who like cyber content like this show. That's what's up. Uh, thanks to the stream sponsors for enabling me to be able to deliver this show to you every single morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time. Barricade Cyber, put off site security, love what you're doing. And anti-siphon training. Guys, anti-siphon training, the training arm under Black Hills Information Security run by John Strand is here to disrupt the cybersecurity training industry by making high quality, cutting edge cybersecurity education taught by wicked smart seasoned practitioners in a practical hands-on skill way. I love, love, love what anti-siphon is doing. Use the link in the description below to go to pay what you can training I mean, they have tons of training, but this right here, you could take all these courses for $0. They intentionally suck at capitalism, okay? They want people to get the knowledge and skills they need in order to deliver cyber risk reduction for businesses, okay? It takes a village. Go to antisiphontraining.com or use the link in the description below. Guys, they have two trainings today. At 11 a.m., you can get started with packet decoding, or you can start your professionally evil API testing. Dealer's choice. Get into it. Don't sleep on this. All right, guys? We got the Simply Cyber Community Challenge. Brian W. currently with the... Um, Brian Woods with the, uh, the Simply Cyber Community Challenge. Brian, well done. Thank you for seriously 
uh, taking the, the challenge seriously. Listen to me. If you're listening there right now and you want to supercharge your LinkedIn feed and build a professional network of meaningful, like-minded, inclusive cyber people, do the following. If you like bots and random crap on LinkedIn, do not do the following. All right, how do you do it? Go on LinkedIn and search for this hashtag. We have made this hashtag. We have pushed it through the algorithms. It will show up with good stuff. Once you search for this hashtag, connect with the people who are posting using it. Comment on their post. Connect with the people in comments. Already, five minutes a day, you're going to start building your network. Now, here's the best part. Because you're commenting on those posts, people who are coming in and connecting with the people Hosting and in the comments are going to connect with you. The work is going to be... Hold on, get focused, Jerry. What's going on here? There we go. The, the work is going to start scaling up. It's going to amplify. It's going to go exponential. It's going to go nuclear. Seriously, if you want to do this, spend five minutes a day. You will be happy in two weeks' time. Believe that. Brian Woods, please tag somebody with the baton. We are like 180, 200 people baton days in a row. We're straight crushing it, homie. <laughs> Let's keep going. All right, Brian Woods, let me know. Sit down now. All right, guys. Yo, Tidbits Tuesday, where I share a little bit about myself. Usually, um, well, let me let me share this. Um, I want to share a Halloween one, and then I'll, I'll give you a bonus thing. Dude, uh, I remember my earliest Halloween costume, okay, if, that I got to pick. It just occurred to me. It was a garbage pail kids um, outfit. It was like you'd wear like a plastic smock, which was the garbage pail kids body, and then a mask. And it was the one where the kid was like covered in spiders, which is gross because I don't like spiders. I don't know what I was up to. But I remember I like went to the store by myself on the bike because it was the 80s and you could do that. I went to the store on my bike, found the costume I wanted. Then I ran and hid it like in the garden section under a hose. So no one would buy it, even though there was like a dozen of these ones. Then I came home, got my dad, made my dad drive me to Benny's, which was the store. Um, and then this is pre-Amazon, guys. So like you had to go to the store. And then like I, I, I'm like going to the garden section. My dad's like, what are we doing? I like pull it up, produce my garbage pail kids outfit. I get it. And that was an amazing Halloween uh that year so yeah that that's the first time i got all into halloween um so that's what's up solar winds for 2020 breach the u.s securities and exchange commission filed a lawsuit against the company and executives including CISO tim brown the lawsuit alleges executives failed to notify investors on specific risks and security practices instead presenting only theoreticals and generalities SEC Division of Enforcement head Gerber Grewal also said SolarWinds and Brown ignored repeated red flags of cyber risks for years. The suit claims Brown knew as far back as 2018 that remote attacks accessing SolarWinds would be hard to detect due to inappropriate access and privilege controls. SolarWinds CEO Sundhakar Ramakrishna said the SEC action was misguided and an improper enforcement action. Hacker. All right, so this is a very big story. Um, this is a very big story, okay? So the SEC is suing SolarWinds. Now, um, th this is not quite the same as the CISO being brought up on criminal charges, although I it, it could it could 
you know, eventually get that way. So here's what they're saying. The SEC, who's responsible for investors, right? Uh, they typically go after like insider trading and stuff like that. Is saying that SolarWinds, a publicly traded company that was involved in what I believe, or I qualify as the worst cyber attack, uh, the, one of the most sophisticated cyber attacks, putting Stuxnet aside, in history, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Russia SolarWinds attack. Um, and really quick, mods or anyone in chat, I don't know if Jack Reciter's Darknet Diaries has done an episode on SolarWinds. It's it's perfect for um, Darknet Diaries. But anyways, SolarWinds was a massive, massive supply chain attack, effectively. It, it wasn't really supply chain, but they got in to SolarWinds, and SolarWinds is downstream everywhere, so they were able to deploy and do all sorts of stuff. It was nasty business, including the federal government. Now, what they're, what they're saying here is that the CISO at SolarWinds knew for years that they were vulnerable, that they were exposed, that they had a bad cybersecurity, you know, bad cybersecurity, and that they misled investors by saying the opposite. This is an interesting precedent to set because as you and I both know in the reality of cybersecurity, you will always have residual risk. You will never be secure, okay? That's why, frankly, I hate the freaking word uh, security, like cybersecurity. It's not, it's cyber resiliency, but I'm willing to die on, I'm not gonna die on that hill because the industry has got too much money and too much of a machine pushing uh, security as a word. That's why it's called simply cyber, not simply cybersecurity, brah. Little little uh, hot take. All right, so here's the deal. Um, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that they knew for years that they wouldn't be able to detect an attack. They knew for years they were saying that their security posture was at a certain level when it is at a lower level. From what I read, now I typically don't research these stories, but last night I did read about this one uh, in a different article. And it, it's going to be very difficult. The CISO didn't come out and say, we are at a 3.75 out of five, according to the NIST cybersecurity framework. And here is exhaustive evidence to support this argument. In the world of cybersecurity, guys, we do the best we can. And, and, and you know, that's where we go um, to drive cyber risk reduction. A lot of people can't handle it. It's a stressful job, guys. You know, like you could get hit any second. It's you're walking, and by the way, you don't get all the money you need to implement all the security you want. So you got to deal with that. I, I do want to uh, give a shout out to Jason Haddix, who is who is a really well known uh, bug bounty and pen tester, but also a CISO. He suggested after this precedent is set, CISOs, if you're going to be a CISO or you are one, um, you should really outline in your contract, um, uh, you know, like golden parachutes and. Uh, a like firm requirements on exits and how responsibility and accountability is going to be charged with you. Uh, just to take it one step higher up in the chain, it is a philosophical discussion within our industry whether or not the CISO is accountable for information security at a business or if they are informing the business on information security, right? So say there's a massive breach, is the CISO to blame? This is an argument that we have all the time. I'm of the position, no, because the CISO, if they're doing their job correctly, should be 
providing all the information and all the suggestions and all the best practices and everything to the business. And then the business is making a risk-based decision on whether or not they want to fund certain initiatives, whether or not they want to drive uh, cyber risk down to an acceptable level, right? So, you know, that's where it is. I, I should have wore tinfoil hat, Jose Alfredo. That's, that's classic. Um, uh, I got a, a link here to a YouTube video if you want to learn more about solar winds. It's absolutely worth um, worth knowing more about. This story, I'm going to keep a close eye on personally. I think everybody in our industry is going to keep a close eye on this particular story. Um, it's going to have ramifications and precedent setting, uh, basically. So, you know, stay tuned for that. Awards over $300 million in bug bounties. The company announced it hit this all-time milestone since the launch of its bug bounty program. 30 security researchers earned over $1 million each, with one receiving over $4 million in payouts. The average bounty price in 2023 set at $3,700 across all industries. The automotive industry saw the biggest increase in bug bounty prices, while the cryptocurrency industry had the highest average bounty at over $24,000. In a survey of bug hunters, HackerOne found 61% experimenting with generative AI as a way to find more vulnerabilities. Exactly, guys. As I laid out in the first story, everybody's using AI right now, okay? Including bug bounty hunters. Um, you know, HackerOne laid out $300 million. Way to go, HackerOne. I'm on HackerOne. When I do get some free time, which is like never, uh, I do plan on um, basically... Uh, just a fun fact, I plan on taking Jason Haddock's uh, bug bounty course in December for fun and then applying it on HackerOne. This is the platform I like, you know, hacking on, even though I'm terrible at it. Um, I do want to point out, interesting here in the infographic, uh, this green bar right in the middle definitely jumps out, uh, grabs your eye first. This is research in bug bounties found in the cryptocurrency and blockchain. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. Yep. Thank you, um, FinFrock. So obviously big money in the crypto space. Obviously, uh, you know, the crypto winner is hit. And I feel like crypto is actually kind of way down. But way to go, HackerOne. Um, it just goes to show you. When I see this story, yes, congratulations, HackerOne. You made, you, if you're paying out $300 million, that means you're getting paid an A-load of money servicing all those clients who paid out the $300 million. But what I do want to point out is this to me is a massive, massive win for vulnerability disclosure, for security researchers, for bug bounty, for really trying to empower and champion the security community to help businesses get their crap in order in a way that's actually valuable uh, to the business because they only pay for vulnerabilities that are discovered. I think bug bounties and vulnerability disclosure is awesome. Uh, just, I say it a million times. I'll say it a million more. If you ever get a chance and you want to know the history of it, um, definitely, definitely buy this book. Nicole Pell Ross, tell me, this is how they tell me the world ends. This book is phenomenal. Phenomenal. All right, here, I'm going to drop a link in chat. If you, if you're looking for a, a, just a, a page turner, uh, that's really informative and interesting. And they spent, she spends quite a bit of time in here talking about the origins of bug bounties. Guess what? Before bug bounty programs, um, <laughs> governments used to pay like millions of dollars for these same zero days. So uh, we've come a long way, baby. Android phones flagging Google app as malware. 
Smartphones from Huawei, Honor, and Vivo received a security threat notification advising that it detected the Trojan SMS PA malware in the Google app. It recommended immediate uninstallation for the high-risk malware. The notification details claim that the app secretly sends SMS messages to further entice malicious activity. A Google spokesperson said Google Play Protect, Google's service that scans downloaded apps, did not trigger the alert. No statement from the manufacturers on the issue, but Bleeping Computer claims that these are false positives generated by the Huawei Optimizer app. Tw- All right. Well, seems convenient. I'm going to I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that Huawei uh, it is a false positive and and you know whatever the Google app which would be on an Android phone, right? Does some type of under the hood stuff that's flagging as malware. Now a far more cynical, a far more tinfoil hat Jerry might say that Huawei is trying to strongly encourage users to remove the Google app because, you know, China wants you to not use the Google app. They want you to use whatever version of Google app they have. Is it Baidu or Binyu or Yandex? Like Google, um, China has their own kind of Google thing. So to me, tinfoil hat Jerry is saying, Oh, no, no, no. Like, let's flag this thing uh, as malware. Get, you know, say 50% of users to uninstall it. And then they'll start directing all their, you know, queries into uh, Yandex or Baidu or whatever it is, the Chinese Google. That's what I think. Now, remember, Google is in China and they do filter and censor their Google search results based on Chinese policy, which is by, thank you, Gina, which is why, by the way, Google changed their name from do no evil or changed their motto from do no evil years ago is because they went into the Chinese market and they're like, ah, we're filtering results. That's kind of evil. But you know what? Straight cash, homie. Yep. Straight cash, homie. Somebody wearing a three-piece suit at Google was like, yeah, I know it seems kind of wrong, but there's a lot of money over there. We should really consider it. Oh, by the way, that was also in... Nicole Pelross book, This Is How They Tell Me the World End, talking about Operation Aurora, Google's response, and the entire migration into the Chinese market. This book pays dividends for days. Believe that. So public library hit with cyber attack. Over the weekend, the Canadian library system confirmed it experienced a cyber attack after experiencing technical difficulties with online and in-branch services. The library took down its main website and replaced it with a statement explaining the attack. Systems over 100 branches remain open with Wi-Fi access and materials available to take out, but printer services, public computers, and digital collections remain unavailable. No word on if this is a ransomware attack or who orchestrated it. The library system said it expects to take several days to fully restore services. That's one way to get away from paying late book fees. Uh... (laughs) All right, so first of all, like... To me, this seems like a crime of opportunity. Like, who's hitting a library? Really? Is this what we're up to now? Like, is this some like type of Scooby-Doo villain where it's like, no one will read the library books. I've got uh, mining rights for like a, a, you know, a diamond mine underneath this library. You know, and it probably would have got away with it if it wasn't for these uh, menacing, pesky kids. Right. There's a Halloween. um joke i guess that just occurred to me anyways library gets hit uh that sucks they service a lot of people um it says they don't know if it's ransomware or not chances are it sounds like it's ransomware if they're if if their website's down if it was a denial of service attack it would already be back up um it sounds i I mean 
it sucks. Okay. If you, if you are, uh, operating in Canada, then, you know, you might have some impact, but again, the public library, while it's really a good, cool public service, if the public library is down, there's an internet, it, it, like there's a thing called the internet that's like very powerful and can get you a lot of the answers that you need. So I don't see this as like, I know this sucks for the library people, but in the grand scheme of like, what's the level of impact catastrophic, like people will hang out and, you know, they'll be off and, and running. Um, yeah, to me, this, this seems kind of like a, an affiliate ransomware attack where someone just had access and took advantage of it with really little concern, little care about what the, um, who the victim was. They'll be back up. They've got uh, incident uh, response and, and cybersecurity people in there helping get it back up. I, I would imagine um, they'll, they'll be back up if they have backups and stuff. This is a public library, which means it's public funded, which means it probably doesn't have good investments into their cybersecurity uh, infrastructure. So we'll see. Uh, Lana. So Alana says a lot of people depend on the library. Um, so I would say, yeah. Th so I also want to point out the library is physically still open. You could still go there. I would imagine that they have, you know, quote unquote, downtime procedures in order to check books out and stuff like that. So um, you probably can't do interlibrary, interlibrary loans and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Wiki Slack attack is whack. Hey, Kathy Security Chambers. researchers at eCentire documented this new attack method. This could see an attacker editing the first page of a Wikipedia entry of interest to a potential victim. It adds a legitimate footnote that contains a formatting error that will cause a link to appear in Slack's preview snippet. Effectively, the formatting error can create a link where there would otherwise be a line break. The researchers found this unintentionally occurring in over 1,000 Wikipedia entries already. The researchers say a malicious actor could intentionally create this behavior to point to a malicious link on highly trafficked pages. Okay, hold on. What? So this this story is kind of weird. Oh wait, 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 wait. Researchers devised an attack tactic. Uh, can we use the redirect business for us? Um. Uh. All right, so this is just kind of an interesting attack. Um, so basically, everybody uses Wikipedia. Uh, hey, really quick, Lupe Peterman, if you are in the community, I mean, if you're in chat right now, Lupe, you might be on audio only. We are trying to giddy up. We're trying to get, grab you to see if you are interested, Lupe, in the Simply Cyber Community Challenge. So Lupe Peterman, please. Um, uh, please ring the bell or, or jump in chat right now and let us know. Um, so guys, here's the deal. Wikipedia has been around forever. People use it. Um, in all the citations, there's usually footnotes. You can click on a citation, go to the footnote and drill deeper for more information. Where did this thing come from? Uh, these security researchers figured out that there's a way to kind of weaponize the footnote. So the footnote itself is not at risk. And Hey, Lupe, do you want the Simply Cyber Community Challenge baton? Let us know in chat. Um, so the footnote URL is not actually malicious. So if there was any type of um, you know, direct URL to malware, it probably would get flagged and taken down and not a thing. But 
it goes one degree deeper, uh, pushing to a Slack thing, which obviously is not going to show up as malicious. And then due to some grammatical thing that they did, then that takes you to malware. What I want to say is this is an interesting attack, okay? But you've got to remember, this is very much a spurious hit, right? If I, like, let's say, um, let's say I'm trying to get uh, Kathy Chambers in chat. I'm going to compromise Kathy Chambers and ACI Learning, okay? I've got to figure out what Wikipedia article I want. I'm hoping Kathy finds or I send it to her. Then I have to hope that Kathy is interested enough to go to the footnote that I've weaponized and follow it. And Kathy is is not paying attention. So when it redirects through Slack and bounces out to some malicious site that I've created, she doesn't notice. And my malicious site looks believable enough that she falls for it. There's a lot of dependencies in here. So this isn't a targeted kind of spear phishing attack vector. To me, this is very much like laying a crab trap in the in the bay and hoping some crabs walk into it and then figuring out if you got a janky looking crab with like one claw and it's, you know, it's got barnacles all on it. Or if you got some juicy like 18 pounder, it's all bright red and looking, you know, looking svelte and, and got its swell on, right? You don't know what you're going to get. So Interesting attack vector. It made some stories, made some research. I, I do want to say shout out to um, attackers and pen testers. This might be an interesting technique to fold into your workflows for your pen test and red team engagements. Um, but this is just, to me, this is interesting. It's a novel attack vector weaponizing a, a, a site like Wikipedia that everybody's familiar with. But at the same time, um, yeah, whatever. We've all seen practices that we know all right. are security theater. Nope. But the question is. All right. Hey, that's going to do it for today's show. I, uh, unfortunately, I do teach. Not a, it's not unfortunate. It's actually awesome. But I'm faculty at the Citadel. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I got to run out of here and drive like I stole my truck um, to get down to the Citadel so I can teach my cadets all things cybersecurity. So I can't hang around and jaw jack with you all today. I hope you got value from the stream. Lupe Peterman, thanks for picking it up. Brian Woods, thanks for the community challenge. For all the first timers, I hope you come back tomorrow and I hope you had a good time. I'm Jerry from Simply Cyber. You guys are chat. Until next time, stay secure. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed that content. Keep the cybersecurity train going by connecting with the other Simply Cyber community resources. We have the Discord server that's lively and always keeps the conversation going. You can connect with me directly on LinkedIn. And also every single weekday morning on the Simply Cyber channel, we're doing live daily cyber threat briefings, 8 a.m. Eastern time, as well as Thursday at 4.30 p.m. We're doing live stream interviews with industry experts and we produce videos that we push out every Wednesday morning. I'm Jerry from Simply Cyber. I hope you enjoyed the content and we'll see you in the next one. One.